Hey there, friends. Lucifer Means Lightbringer here, and I have to tell you straight out that you've just clicked on possibly my weirdest video. Today we're going on a twisted journey to the far reaches of Essos, and even off the map and all the way into the dark mindscapes of H.P. Lovecraft. However, it's going to lead us, curiously enough, back to one of the most central mysteries of A Song of Ice and Fire. The Isle of Faces and the Sacred Order of Green Men. Sounds weird, but trust me, it works. And even if I'm wrong, this will be a fun trip through some very cool folklore and some of the more remote places in A Song of Ice and Fire. Now let's get weird. Gods, Ned, it's dark in here. Oh, hello, this is King Robert Baratheon. Titles, titles. And when I'm feeling horny, I go down to the crypt. No, wait, I mean I listen to mythical astronomy of ice and fire. Yes, that's it. Down in the crypts with my platonic friend, Ned Stark. I, Robert Baratheon, titles, titles, do hereby decree that all should do homage to what did you say it was, a YouTube channel, by performing the appropriate oaths and rituals of subscription, lest she be thrown into the black cells. There, is, the, is that what you wanted me to say? Ned? Ned, where'd you go with the torch? Oh ho, are we playing hide and seek again? So, there you are, cruising along, reading through the world of Ice and Fire, and you've worked your way through all the fun Targaryen history, and a bit about the free cities of Essos, and the Dothraki Plains, which is pretty cool, and Sarnor, and you finally get to the far eastern Essos material in the very back, and you come across this really weird place called the Holy Isle of Lang in the Jade Sea. It's a large, verdant island, which is home to 10,000 tigers and 10 million monkeys, according to Lomas Longstrider. That sounds cool, and slightly weirder are the spotted humpback apes, said to be almost as clever as men, as well as hooded apes as large as giants. Alright, this place sounds exotic, you think to yourself, and it seems like evolution might be happening here. But then things start to get truly creepy in only the second paragraph. Lang's history goes back almost as far as that of Yiti itself, but little and less of it is known west of the Jade Straits. There are queer runes in the depths of the island's jungle, massive buildings long fallen and so overgrown that only rubble remains above the surface. But underground, we are told, endless labyrinths of tunnels lead to vast chambers, and carved steps descend hundreds of feet into the earth. No man can say who might have built these cities or when. They remain perhaps the only remnant of some vanished people. Alright, well, if you're at all like me, then that's the kind of thing you get excited for, even if this is just far-flung world-building. Underground cities? Vanished people? Tell me more, right? Well, the narrative returns to conventional history for a minute about how Lang was colonized by Yiti and now has two types of people, the very tall native Langi and the much shorter Yitish. But your eyes can't help but roam down to the sidebar on the next page, where it tells us more about those ruins in the jungle. And it is here that we encounter the Old Ones. Legends persist that the Old Ones still live beneath the jungle of Lang. So many of the warriors that Jarhar sent down below the ruins returned mad, or not at all, that the God Emperor finally decreed that the vast underground city's ruins should be sealed up and forgotten. Even today, it is forbidden to enter such places under penalty of torture and death. Hot damn, well now that is the good shit, isn't it? Underground cities from which people either come back insane or not at all. It's all very mysterious, and there's one other reference to the old ones in the Lang section a bit further on, which makes it even worse. 
It was mariners from the Golden Empire who opened Ling to trade. Yet even then, the island remained a perilous place for outsiders, for the Empress of Lang was known to have congress with the Old Ones, gods who lived deep below the ruined subterranean cities, and from time to time the Old Ones told her to put all the strangers on the island to death. This is known to have happened at least four times in the island's history, if Colloquo Votar's Jade Compendium can be believed. Okay, so that's definitely creepier now. The god Empress of Lang has congress with the Old Ones, and every once in a while they tell her to just execute all the foreigners. That's lovely. Vote Kiara for Congress. Death to all the foreigners. Yikes. Talk about a harsh anti-immigration policy. Things are a bit better these days, with no more executions, and an independent Lang ruled by a god empress who takes one Yitish husband and one native Langi husband. And the old ones are not mentioned by name anywhere else in A Song of Ice and Fire, at least not directly. So it's hard to know what to make of these tales of the old ones and their creepy underground cities, unless you've read any H.P. Lovecraft, of course. Anyone with even a passing familiarity with the works of H.P. Lovecraft will probably recognize the phrase Old Ones. The Old Ones are, quoting from the Lovecraft fandom wiki, a group of unique malignant beings of great power. They reside in various locations on Earth and once presided over the planets as gods and rulers. The Old Ones are separate from other gods and monsters of Lovecraft's world, such as the Deep Ones, who of course also appear in A Song of Ice and Fire lore, or the Chthonians, or beings like Yogg-Sothoth, Azathoth, and Nyarthalotep. The Old Ones use a lot of mind control and psychic warfare and psychic invasion, and are generally bad news for mortals. As some of you will know, there are a handful of very clear references to H.P. Lovecraft in Far Eastern Essos, such as Kadath, a city in the Grey Waste beyond the Five Forts, or Carcosa, which is similarly beyond the realms of mortal men on the very edge of the map. Lang itself is a name drawn from Lovecraftian lore, where it takes the form of either a plateau that exists only in the dream world, or, possibly, it varies a bit from story to story, as an ancient city in Antarctica built by, who else, the Old Ones. George also borrowed the names of the cities Ib and Sarnath from Lovecraft, and basically everything about Ashai and the Bloodstone Emperor and that black meteor that he worshipped just stinks of Lovecraft, since magically toxic meteors that poison people in the land is a reoccurring element of several Lovecraft stories. High priests of evil performing powerful magic during special cosmic alignments, that's very Lovecraftian. And of course, the Bloodstone Emperor actually founded the Church of Starry Wisdom, which is pulled directly from Lovecraft. Now, while some of these Lovecraft references are just hat tips and don't really mean much to the main story, like the cities in the Grey Waste, I believe that the concept of the Old Ones is not inconsequential, but rather something more, even though their story starts in this very far-flung part of the world. The tales of people going mad from exploring the ruins of the Old Ones in the jungles of Lang is very, very consistent with Lovecraft, where the human mind struggled to maintain sanity in the face of forces far greater is a major theme of his work, perhaps the major theme. People are pretty much constantly going insane in Lovecraft stories, to put it simply, and it's always due to mankind attempting to comprehend something which is just too terrifying for the human mind. As I mentioned, in the Lovecraft universe, Lang is an abandoned city built by the Old Ones, or a plateau with multiple abandoned cities. And in the A Song of Ice and Fire universe, Lang is an island with abandoned cities built by the Old Ones. 
pretty much the same idea. The old ones whispering in the ear of the Empress and commanding her to commit mass murder is also very Lovecraftian and consistent with the modus operandi of the Lovecraftian old ones, who like to use psychic invasion and suggestion as their preferred tool. But there's something else very mysterious going on with Lang that at first doesn't appear to really have anything to do with Lovecraft, but which will lead us back to a different sort of old one, and it has to do with those native Langi people. The native people of Lang, known as the Langi, are quite striking and unusual, and extremely tall, as we learn in the world of Ice and Fire. On the southern third of Lang dwell the descendants of those displaced by the invaders from the Golden Empire. The native Langi are perhaps the tallest of all the known races of mankind, with many men amongst them reaching seven feet in height, and some as tall as eight. Long-legged and slender, with flesh the color of oiled teak, they have large golden eyes and can supposedly see farther and better than other men, especially at night. Though formidably tall, the women of Langi are famously lithe and lovely, of surpassing beauty. Large golden eyes that can see better in the dark, hello! That can only remind us of one thing, the children of the forest. When Bran meets the child named Leaf in A Dance with Dragons, it says, Her eyes were queer, large and liquid, gold and green, slitted like a cat's eyes. Elsewhere it says that the children have nut-brown skin, which is very much in the same skin tone range as the oiled teak description of the Langi, as teak is a golden-hued, medium-brown wood, and oiled teak suggests a shade a little darker than medium. Now, the Langi don't have slitted cat's eyes like the children, although the tiger symbolism of Langi's valued tiger skins, which Illyrio trades in, by the way, could be a way to create a symbolic parallel to the children's cat's eyes, and perhaps even to skin changing. Literary parallels aside, however, However, large eyes are generally found on creatures which are either nocturnal or cave-dwelling, and like the old ones in their underground cities, the children of the forest we see are living underground in Blood Raven's cavern. In A Game of Thrones, Maester Lewin tells us that they've always done so. They were a people dark and beautiful, small of stature, no taller than children even when grown to manhood. They lived in the depths of the wood, in caves and crannogs, and secret tree towns. Slight as they were, the children were quick and graceful. Note the physical descriptions here. Dark and beautiful, slight, quick and graceful. Compare that to the Langi, who are described as slender, lithe, and lovely. And again, with matching skin tones and that unusual description of large golden eyes. If the Langi were not so tall, I think most everyone who read The World of Ice and Fire would have immediately suspected them of having children of the forest blood. So here's what I think. I think the old ones of A Song of Ice and Fire are some kind of cousin to the children of the forest. The tall elves to the children's short elves, if you will. I think the native Langi must have interbred with these tall, elf-like old ones, just as there are pretty solid hints that people have interbred with the magical beings all over this world. I think the unusual traits that we see in the native Langi must be evidence of their old one's ancestry, and clue us in to what the old ones look like. This would be comparable to Jojen having moss-green eyes like a child of the forest green seer. The Cranogmen have a trace of children of the forest blood, so they are a bit shorter than average men, and occasionally turn up with green eyes and green gifts. The Langi's large golden eyes, which are ideal for seeing in the dark, really do make sense as a trait originally found in the subterranean-dwelling old ones, or perhaps the deep jungle-dwelling old ones. Likewise, I think we can assume that the extreme height of the Langi is also an old one's trait. 
If the old ones were short, like the children of the forest, then the Lengi would have become shorter by interbreeding with them, as the Cranogmen did. Instead, the native Lengi are said to be the tallest people in the world, rivaling the tall men of Sarnor and the long-vanished maze-makers of Lorath, who left behind only their mazes and very large bones. Thus, I can only conclude that if the Lengi did interbreed with the old ones, then the height of the native Lengi and their golden eyes can surely be traced to the old ones. If the Lengi Old Ones are some kind of elf, that really would make sense, because fantasy elves like those in The Lord of the Rings are frequently tall after all. They would be like some sort of taller cousin to the children of the forest, perhaps. Now, while it's true that Lang is a long way from the homeland of the children of the forest, Westeros, we do know that the Great Empire of the Dawn, who were, according to my theory, the dragon lords of ancient Ashai that have been hinted at throughout the story, came to Westeros in the Dawn Age because of that few stone fortress at Old Town. Beyond that, anyone who's read The World of Ice and Fire probably remembers the tale of the Ifakevron, a short race of woods people that used to live in northern Essos, because they sound a damn lot like children of the forest, and that's according to the maesters themselves. First, we are told that in the forests north of the Dothraki Grass Sea were the domains of the Woodswalkers, a diminutive folk whom many maesters believe to have been kin to the children of the forest. And that seems clear enough. The maesters are no doubt basing their conclusion in large part on the accounts of Lord Corlys Valerion, the Sea Snake, who was supposedly the first Westerosi to visit the woods of the Ephekevron, as well as this other fellow named Brian of Old Town. After his return from the Thousand Islands, he wrote of carved trees, haunted grottos, and strange silences. A later traveler, the merchant adventurer Brian of Old Town, captain of the cog Spearshaker, provided an account of his own journey across the Shivering Sea. He reported that the Dothraki name for the lost people meant those who walk in the woods. None of the Ibanese that Brian of Old Town met could say that they had ever seen a woods walker, but claimed that the little people blessed a household that left offerings of leaf and stone and water overnight. That last bit about leaving offerings out for them is essentially borrowed directly from European fairy folklore, which makes sense because George has more or less designed the children of the forest as fairy folk. So as you can see, these woods walkers sound exactly like children of the forest or very similar to them. They're kind of disconnected from everything else in terms of the plot. So it would seem that the story of the Ephekevron is mainly included in A Song of Ice and Fire to show us that children of the forest or other creatures of their kind once lived all throughout the world and not just in Westeros. There's also one other potential race of beings that sound like they could be related to the children, which is the Nathi from the Isle of Butterflies, where Masande comes from. The people native to the island are a beautiful and gentle race, with round, flat faces, dusky skin, and large, soft, amber eyes, oft flecked with gold. Alright, again we see the large, golden eyes present, and the approximate skin tone and size are also potential matches. Nath is quite far away from, well, everything really, which is exactly the place where we might find remnants of some old race. We also find ourselves on an island once again, as we did with Lang. And just like Lang, foreigners don't tend to do very well on Nath either, although the cause here is some sort of disease from which the native Nathi are immune, as opposed to mass murder. Overall, the evidence for the Nathi having a Children of the Forest bloodline isn't quite as strong as with the Ifakevron or even the Lengi, but they definitely are some kind of unusual humanoid, and they have to get those eyes from somewhere, right? 
the children of the forest tell Bran that they have sung their songs for a million years, and although we have no way to know the truth of that, it does seem logical to view Lang, the forest of the Efekevron, and maybe even the Isle of Nath as the last little pockets and remnants of the elves, if you will, that remain outside of Westeros, if, in fact, these other races are related to the children of the forest. A complementary idea to that of the children and related elf creatures once having lived outside of Westeros is the fact that giants seem to have existed outside of Westeros, namely the Jogwin, the so-called stone giants. The maesters also tell us that dragon skeletons can be found all over the world, so overall, we have to picture a completely different world when we go back to before the rise of mankind on Planetus. This would have been the world in which the Old Ones lived and carved their subterranean cities. The quest to puzzle out the nature of the vanished Old Ones has one other thread to follow besides the elf-related ideas. There are two other cultures which we might be able to draw a tentative link to, primarily based on height, and those would be the Sarnori and the ancient Lorathi. The Sarnori, known as the Tege's Fen in their own language, which means the tall men, are relevant because the approximate physical description of the Sarnori mostly matches the Langi. They're exceptionally tall and have similar medium-dark golden skin tone. They actually sound a lot like the Dothraki, whom they are almost certainly related to, as we discussed in our Great Empire of the Dawn, Origins of the Dothraki video. The only difference, really, is eye color. The Sarnori typically had black eyes, again like the Dothraki, instead of the golden eyes of the Langi. As I mentioned earlier, both Lang and Sarnor are words taken from Lovecraft, so it's at least plausible that Martin is imagining the Song of Ice and Fire versions of these places as being linked as well. The ancestors of the Sarnori seem to have come over the Bones Mountains from eastern Essos, aka the former lands of the Great Empire of the Dawn, and they also have their own Azor Ahai-like legend of a hero named Huzor Amai. That could be relevant because, according to Yeetish history, Lang was also part of the Great Empire of the Dawn, and that means there actually could be a plausible genetic link, a common origin, between the Sarnori and the Langi, albeit a very ancient one. Lorath is perhaps the more intriguing match. Here I am speaking of the ancient people who first settled there, who do not appear to be related to or connected with the later inhabitants of the city known as Lorath. Before the modern-day city was built, there was an interesting religious cult who lived there, the followers of the blind god Boash, who were ascetics who sought after enlightenment and nirvana. But before them, there was a people known to us only as the Maze Makers. Sprawling constructs of bewildering complexity made from blocks of hewn stone, the maze-makers' constructions are scattered across the aisles, and one, badly overgrown and sunk deep into the earth, has been found on Essos proper, on the peninsula south of Lorath. Lorasion, the second largest of the Lorath Isles, is home to a vast maze that fills more than three-quarters of the surface area of the island, and includes four levels beneath the ground, with some passages descending 500 feet. Scholars still debate the purpose of these mazes. Were they fortifications, temples, towns, or did they serve some other, stranger purpose? The maze makers left no written records, so we shall never know. Their bones tell us that they were massively built and larger than men, though not so large as giants. Some have suggested that mayhaps the maze makers were born of interbreeding between human men and giant women. We do not know why they disappeared, though Lorathi legend suggests they were destroyed by an enemy from the sea. Merlings in some versions of the tale, Selkies and Walrus Men in others. The underground portions of these stone mazes, which seem to be the larger portion of the complex as a whole, really do match the descriptions were given of the underground cities in the jungles of Lang. 
That doesn't mean they're connected, of course, but when taken together with the very large skeletons, which seem to be somewhere between the height of giants, whom are about 12 to 14 feet tall, and men, about 6 feet tall, it sounds like we are in the 8 feet or so region again, like the Langi and the Sarnori. The main difference between the mazes of Lorath and the subterranean cities of Lang is the insanity. There are no reports of bad things happening to the people who visit the mazes of Lorath, certainly not like at Lang. We don't know why that is. Perhaps the followers of the blind god Boash cleared all the bad mojo out. Or perhaps the old ones abandoned the Lorathi site after their wars with the Merlings and Selkies, whereas they remain on Lang to give the god Empress bad advice on issues of tourism and immigration. Overall, these links are tentative, like I said, and they're meant to be. George is trying to create the feel of older cycles of existence, lying beneath the layers of more modern history. So all we can ever get are glimpses of the Deep Ones, or the Old Ones, or the Maze Makers. They are supposed to tantalize us, and leave us wondering what came before. However, it's also true that when George Martin references things from other famous works of literature, like the Old Ones, he's essentially inviting us to dig into the source material to get a better sense of the context that he's drawing from. In this case, I read a long and twisted Lovecraft story called Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, and I found some juicy nuggets which will inform our quest for the truth that lies beneath the jungles of Lang. I also told you that Lovecraft wasn't the only one to write about the old ones, so let's take a look at those things to see what was on Martin's mind when he crafted these mysteries. Here's where Martin's creative blending of multiple outside influences comes in. The Old Ones are a race of Lovecraftian beings, it's true enough. But we've also talked quite a lot about the Horned God archetype of European folklore, which can manifest as Cernunos, or Hearn the Hunter, or the Green Man, or a host of other related deities, and of the absolutely massive influence this folklore has on A Song of Ice and Fire. Curiously, one of the classic names for the Horned God Cernunos is the Great Old One. Dun dun dun. Now first off, the idea of Cernunos as an Old One is a big boost for the theory that the Old Ones of Lang are some kind of elf creature, potentially related to the Children of the Forest, because Cernunos is very elf-like, and more specifically, he's an antler-headed stag man, and the children are described as having brown skin dabbled with white spots like a deer. On top of that, we already know that the horned god folklore of Cernunos and his ilk feature prominently in the legends and culture of Westeros. It all starts with the Sacred Order of green men on the Isle of Faces, of course, about whom Bran says that all the tales agreed that the green men had strange magic powers. Bran also learns from Old Nan that the green men ride on elks, and that sometimes they have antlers too. Going beyond the green men themselves, we can observe that the image of the stag man is an old and powerful one which left its mark all over Westeros. The legendary Garth the Green is cast in the role of an antlered stag man and fertility god, and he was said to be the first man in Westeros. And I suspect it's more likely that this legend of one antlered green man could actually refer to a race of antlered green men, which again, are exactly what is said to exist on the Isle of Faces. The Baratheons of the current story march around in antlered stag gear, of course. This is King Robert Baratheon, and when I'm feeling horny, I go... And they get all of that from the extinguished House Durandon 
whose ancient traditions about the antlered stag man seem to date back to ancient times, such as the Age of Heroes. Because Garth the Green was also said to be the first high king over all Westeros, we have to suspect that the Durandans chose the image of the stag man because it was one that conveyed power and divine authority. There's even an old legend of the First Men about someone known as the Green King of the God's Eye, which similarly implies that the image of the stag man is one that commands great respect and power. The main story of A Song of Ice and Fire begins with a symbolic stagman king on the throne of Westeros too, you'll note. And I'm speaking of Robert Baratheon, of course. And when I'm feeling horny. So this would be a historical parallel to the idea of Garth the Green as the first king of Westeros. So as you can see, it's an old, old tradition, perhaps the oldest set of cultural and religious beliefs in Westeros. If the old ones of Lang are playing into this stagman, horned lord idea, then they might be more relevant to the story than first appeared. Could the old ones from Lang be our race of stagmen who are created in the image of the great old one, the horned god himself? Are the green men who guard the weirwoods on the Isle of Faces really the old ones from Lang? Did they somehow come all the way to Westeros to become the green men who live on the Isle of Faces? Or perhaps the old ones on Lang and the green men are simply related or similar beings? We turn once more to the nightmarish works of H.P. Lovecraft for a terrifying clue. All right, well, I might as well just come right out and say it. On Lovecraft's version of Lang, the native race of humanoids is a type of horned and hooved almost human. That's right, although Lovecraft's old ones themselves are weird five-tentacled and five-winged blobby things, the abandoned cities on the plateau of Lang are inhabited by some horny goat people, as we see in Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. These horned humanoids actually sail pitch-black merchant ships around the dream world and can even fly them to the moon. In Dream Quest, they abduct the main character on one of those ships and take him to the dark side of the moon, where he unfortunately does not finally solve the mystery of who is Pink Floyd, but is rather fortunately rescued by magical cats whom he had previously befriended. Don't ask me about the cats. It's a weird story. The point is that horny humanoids on Lang is not a new idea. I mean, I did first come up with it on my own through the process outlined up to this point in the video, but then someone tapped me on the shoulder and told me that, yeah, actually Lovecraft already put horned folk on Lang. Here's a bit from Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. And the scene starts with the main character, Randolph Carter, flying on the back of a wyvern-like creature called a Shantok. The Shantak now flew lower, revealing beneath the canopy of cloud a gray barren plain whereon at great distance shone little feeble fires. As they descended, there appeared at intervals lone huts of granite and bleak stone villages whose tiny windows glowed with pallid light. And there came from those huts and villages a shrill droning of pipes and a nauseous rattle of crotala, which proved at once that Inquinox people are right in their geographic rumors. For travelers have heard such sounds before, and know that they float only from the cold desert plateau which healthy folk never visit, that haunted place of evil and mystery which is Lang. Around the feeble fires dark forms were dancing, and Carter was curious as to what manner of beings they might be, for no healthy folk had ever been to Lang, and the place is known only by its fires and stone huts as seen from afar. Very slowly and awkwardly did those forms leap, and with an insane twisting and bending not good to behold, so that Carter did not wonder at the monstrous evil imputed to them by vague legend, or the fear in which all dreamland holds their abhorrent frozen plateau. 
As the Shantuck flew lower, the repulsiveness of the dancers became tinged with a certain hellish familiarity, and the prisoner kept straining his eyes and racking his memory for clues to where he had seen such creatures before. They leaped as though they had hooves instead of feet, and seemed to wear a sort of wig or headpiece with small horns. Of other clothing they had none, but most of them were quite furry. Behind they had dwarfish tails, and when they glanced upward he saw the excessive width of their mouths. Then he knew what they were, and that they did not wear any wigs or headpieces after all. For the cryptic folk of Lang were of one race with the uncomfortable merchants of the black galleys that had traded rubies at Dilath Lean, those not-quite-human merchants who are the slaves of the monstrous moon things. They were indeed the same dark folk who had shanghaied Carter on their noisome galley so long ago, and whose kith he had seen driven in herds about the unclean wharves of that accursed lunar city, with the leaner ones toiling and the fatter ones taken away in crates for other needs of their polypus and amorphous masters. Now he saw where such ambiguous creatures came from, and shuddered at the thought that Lang must be known to these formless abominations from the moon. Alright, so I'm not saying that this is exactly what Martin pictures the Sacred Order of Green Men to look like, but I can tell you from some of the moon lore in this book and other clues that Martin has definitely read it. And this is the one that contains the idea of horned creatures doing occult things around campfires in a forbidden land called Lang. These horned beings aren't the Lovecraftian old ones themselves, like I said, but Martin does like to switch things around a bit when he borrows from something. If my hypothesis is correct, then it's still very similar. Martin's old ones are still the vanished people who made the haunted underground cities of a place called Lang, but having horns, they'd look more like the current inhabitants of Lovecraft's Lang, as opposed to Lovecraft's basically incomprehensible old ones. Now, given that Sir Nunos, the OG stagman nature god whom Martin seems to adore so much, just so happens to be known as the Great Old One. This change is actually a stroke of genius. It seems that George noticed this weird intersection of horned people and the phrase Old Ones that exists between the horny goat people living in the cities of the Old Ones on Lovecraft's Lang and the horny Sir Nunos, who was called the Great Old One, and he thought he would have himself a mythical monster mash. And that's how we get Martin's Old Ones of Lang, who are really the same as the green men from the Isle of Faces. They're tall and dark and presumably terrifyingly beautiful, and they wear antler hats and do moon magic. The fact that Lovecraft's horned creatures, referred to as the Men of Lang, can sail to the moon on a ship in the dream world works very well with some of the mythical astronomy theories about what Martin is doing with the green men and the moon. Namely, I believe that the legend of mass sacrifice on the Isle of Faces to call down the Hammer of the Waters is actually a telling of Azor High performing a blood magic ritual with a child of the forest called Nissa Nissa that cracked the moon and rained down moon meteors on the land, one of which was remembered as the Hammer of the Waters when it cracked the Arm of Dorne. Plus, the simple idea of the horned folk from Lovecraft's Lang being able to sail ships in the dreamscape also seems very compatible with the basic notion of the green men as green seers who sail the astral plane on their metaphorical weirwood boat. Now, when you read about those underground ruins in the jungles of George Martin's Lang that lead down to God knows where, that's very similar to the main city on Lovecraft's Plateau of Lang, and once again, we see it thronging with horny folk. There, all alone in the hush and the dusk and the cold, rose the uncouth stones of a squat, windowless building, around which a circle of crude monoliths stood. 
In all this arrangement there was nothing human, and Carter surmised from old tales that he was indeed come to that most dreadful and legendary of all places, the remote and prehistoric monastery wherein dwells unaccompanied the high priest not to be described, which wears a yellow silken mask over its face and prays to the other gods and the crawling chaos Nyarthalotep. Carter followed where he led, and passed within the circle of standing rocks and into the low-arched doorway of that windowless stone monastery. There were no lights inside, but the evil merchant lit a small clay lamp bearing morbid bomb-reliefs and prodded his prisoner on through mazes of narrow winding corridors. On the walls of the corridors were printed frightful scenes older than history and in a style unknown to the archaeologists of Earth. After countless eons, their pigments were brilliant still, for the cold and dryness of hideous lang keeps alive many primal things. Carter saw them fleetingly in the rays of that dim and moving lamp, and shuddered at the tale they told. Throughout those archaic frescoes, Lang's annals stalked, and the horned, hooved, and wide-mouthed almost humans danced evilly amidst forgotten cities. There were scenes of old wars, wherein Lang's almost humans fought with the bloated purple spiders of the neighboring vales, and there were scenes also of the coming of the black galleys from the moon, and of the submission of Lang's people to the polypus and amorphous blasphemies that hopped and floundered and wriggled out of them. So as you can see, these creepy horned men of Lang used to rule this ancient city, named later as Sarkomand, before becoming enthralled to those nasty moon beasts. They ruled it, oh, let's see, over a million years ago, it says. Okay, all right, so that's pretty old. You kind of get the idea here. This is basically the lore that Martin is tapping into when he speaks of ruined subterranean cities on a forbidden isle called Ling, where men go down into the earth and come out mad, or not at all. And I'll also add that Sarkomand has a tunnel that leads all the way down to the Great Abyss, whatever that is. And when I'm feeling horny, I go down to the crypt. No, wait, what are all these bloody elves doing down here? At the risk of repeating myself, the big takeaway here is that these ancient, creepy cities of Lang are the dominion of people with horns growing out of their head. Ergo, it's not as crazy as it first sounded. My theory about horny Garth people being the truth behind both the sacred order of green men on the Isle of Faces and the old ones on the holy Isle of Lang. I'll also point out that the idea of the god empresses of Lang periodically getting advice from the old ones to sacrifice all the foreigners on the island kind of reminds me of the legend of the children of the forest sacrificing hundreds of captives on the Isle of Faces to call down the hammer of the waters. In both cases, we have mass human sacrifice on a holy island, although we can only speculate about the old ones harnessing the power of their mass sacrifices on Lang to work some sort of dark magic equivalent to the Hammer of the Waters. Now, I'm very happy to report that George Martin has said that we will get to see the Isle of Faces before the series is over. And it's actually foreshadowed pretty heavily in the first three books, as well as in the more recent histories of Targaryen-ruled Westeros. That means that we should, one day, get a glimpse of these green men, whatever they are. And when we do, we might see some sort of Cernunos-looking antlered dude. He probably will not explain that, see, thousands of years ago, his ancestors came here from Lang when the god Empress of Lang was happily married to a god emperor of the Great Empire of the Dawn. But then this whole Bloodstone Emperor thing happened and everything went south and they ended up stuck in Westeros on this foggy isle. No, Sir Nunos probably won't explain that to whichever of our heroes end up going to the Isle of Faces. However, you and I will know that we stand before one of the great old ones from, how did he put it? 
that haunted place of evil and mystery, which is Lang. Good news, friends. It's bonus section time. That's right. There's one more small little angle to this, and again, it consists of Martin finding a weird natural confluence of Lovecraftian ideas and European folklore. So, in Lovecraft world, among the groupings of incomprehensible deities known as the Great Old Ones, a group which includes Cthulhu and Nyarthalotep and many others, we find one named Ig, Y-I-G. Ig is a great old one who is known as the father of serpents, and he takes the form of a snake with scaled arms like a human. Of course, we also know that Martin uses the name Ig YGG in Ironborn folklore as a way of referring to the Weirwoods, and this of course is a shortening of the name Yggdrasil, upon which the Weirwoods are based. But if the old ones are really green men, and if they are green seers, then, well, we have old ones living inside an Ig tree. And one of Lovecraft's old ones is named Ig, albeit with a slightly different spelling. Even better, one of my main theories about Azor Ahai, the father of dragons, very similar to the idea of a father of serpents, is that he invades the Weirwood Net with his blood magic killing of Nissa Nissa. And that would merge YGG with YIG, in the sense that it gives us a dragon in an Ig tree, who is a father of serpents, and who is using the magic of the old ones, meaning the green seers. So, that's the theory. It's not bad, if I do say so myself. The idea of some old, tall, elvish race living in caves beneath Lang is pretty fun. And since we should get a glimpse of the Isle of Faces, we stand a pretty good chance of at least finding out if the green men are antlered stagmen. But here's the thing. If we weren't tuned in to George's use of symbolism, metaphor, and most of all wordplay, then this would be about as far as we could take the theory. Well, fortunately, you know that Martin always leaves us clues via symbolism and wordplay, and boy is that ever the case with the old ones. So tune in next time, where we will dive into the main text of A Song of Ice and Fire and look for clues about the Green Seers and the old ones. And if your appetite for H.P. Lovecraft has been wet, well, then I will direct you to my good friend Quinn's Ideas YouTube channel. He's got an entire playlist of Lovecraft videos to terrify and thrill the mind. Hello again, this is King Robert Baratheon, and when I'm not drinking a hole through the treasury and turning the kingdom into the ground, I like to keep up on my mythical astronomy by clicking the subscribe button. They tell me they hold a celebration here every Sunday at 4.20 Eastern. Something about character studies, I don't know. Should really do one about me, or maybe my son Gendry, since that little shit Joffrey's not mine, which I always knew. I always knew that. Does anyone know if a breastplate stretcher will work on a t-shirt? Seems I've gotten a bit fat. I can't be troubled with this. Ned, more wine. Where'd you go? Come back here and tell me again how I was muscled like a maiden's fantasy.